Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Attorney Sonia Madison. Sonia, how you doing? You know, the rain has stopped, even though it has been pouring, not only just weather-wise, but... <laughs> I, I, I get the impression that weather really impacts your mood quite a bit. It does. <laughs> it every does. time I ask you how you're doing, you come back with a weather response. The weather. It's raining and stormy, and it's hard to focus. You have I'm seasonal... It's sunny. It's not you that have, easy. <laughs> you have seasonal affective disorder, SAD. Is that the medical professional term? There, there is actually a, a medical term for seasonal affective disorders, people who get depression because uh, they're constantly in, in uh, gloomy environments and cold weather. And so sometimes in the winter, people find themselves getting a little down and a little depressed, have a little mood disturbances as a result of just being exposed to bad weather constantly. So <laughs> I, I, my heart goes out to people in Seattle because I couldn't live in Seattle. <laughs> How about you? How have you been this past week? Oh my gosh. I have been worked like a runaway slave that just got caught. And I feel like I got beat as a result of it as well. Man, I mean, they had me operating every day this morning. So uh, you may be aware or whatever, one of my physicians left, moved to a different state. But it created, of course, it created a backlog of work for me. I'm glad to have the work. I'm glad to have the patience. But oh my gosh, they have really been working me this week. And I think my office manager gets a kick out of that, just knowing that I have to get up and be operating at 730 each day and not get out of the office until much later than that in the evening and so but this is the life I chose so we don't complain too much about it I'm just grateful that I can still put food on my table and on the table of 12 or 13 other people you know they probably eat better than I do but that's, that's why I stay employed that's why I say stay in business so I can keep other people employed well tell me as a business owner have you ever thought about sending an action to the court to preempt you from having to do something in which you have not been asked. <laughs> and there's no indication hmm. that you will be asked. <laughs> hmm. I'm sensing a transition happening here. <laughs> Anyways. You know, I know you'll never come to me and ask me to do your surgery, but if you came to me and asked me to do your surgery, I don't want to do your surgery. Because... Not even that. I know you're going to come because to some degree, people are like, no one was going to come to you. <laughs> you haven't proven yourself to be. <laughs> I mean, this is a new venture you're settling into. Yeah. Well, if it's so, you know, for those that don't understand, we are talking about creative, a 303 creative LLC um, versus Illinois, which is probably pretty much Colorado. So this is the latest Supreme Court case that came out essentially stated that the, this woman who is, she said she's starting a new venture to do websites. And they're going to be websites about businesses, websites about events, but also websites about weddings. She wants to help people do manage their wedding websites. Now, again, I say wants to because it's not like she's had this website business set up. And it's had customers left, right, up and down. And she can kind of have her propensity as to the type of customer she's going to get. But no, this is a, hey, I want to start a new venture. And before I get all into it, I want to make sure I don't have to do websites for same-sex couples seeking to do a wedding. And so the argument was a similar argument that was in the cake case. I think we probably discussed last year was, hey, it's a First Amendment violation. You're violating my free speech if I'm going to have to use my expression, my words to advocate for a message that I don't believe in or that violates my re religious beliefs. 
And so, again, there was an issue about standing and the court kind of moved away from it and essentially saying, well, you know, Colorado does has this statute and they have prosecuted people who have not um, bode well in terms of sexual orientation, if they discriminated against someone based on sexual orientation. And that's unlike Title VII, sexual orientation is explicit in this state statute that you can What's the cake? Also, was the cake baker also in Colorado? Yeah, also it was. Colorado. Yes. Also okay. Colorado. Yeah. Um, and so the court kind of was like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll skirt through that. Even though you have no injury right now, which is important with standing, you need to be injured. Even though you have no injury right now, <laughs> we'll skirt over that and essentially say that, yes, you using your words is a free speech violation. And so you do not have to then do a website for same-sex couples seeking to do weddings if they require your freedom expression. You know, one of the things, and and I remember when we talked about the cake, you know, I wasn't, I kind of understood the cake. And one, there was a couple that came in and asked for the cake. So this is a little different. <laughs> Get him, man. <laughs> they asked I'm sorry. The Eat the cake, Denny, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he made it very clear to I me, mean, all my cakes are plain. He was, he was willing to, hey, you can buy a cake. I'm just not going to make you a custom cake, but feel free to buy any of the goods that are in here. And so I can kind of see that here. I'm kind of like, oh, what if what if a same-sex couple came to you and said, hey, all I want you to do is set up the site. Here are the words I want. Here's the story that I want to be able to convey in terms of how I met my partner and all this kind of stuff. I mean, what if they give her pretty much the layout and just saying, hey, all I'm asking you to do is put it on the website. I don't know if then that qualifies as your free speech is then being violated because it's their speech. All they're asking you to do is put it on a platform. And this isn't a platform that you own per se. I mean, it's the internet. And so I, I'm like, uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, if I was the justice, I probably just would have not taken the case and then wait for a case that actually has some injury. But in this one, like, I, I feel like, and I know we had Eric on last week, I feel like if there was going to be a conspiracy, that would have been evidence of the conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it More is. so than random websites that pop up random information. But this is something we can tangibly see and say, really, did you have to do this? It's called strike while the iron is hot, while you get uh, while the court is conservative. So <laughs> basically, you establish every conservative law, you create circumstances and and hypotheticals, even in this case, and have the court to rule on those hypotheticals so that when someday in the future, when the court will no longer be conservative, nowhere near as conservative as it is now, that uh, hopefully, you know, those things, will, those laws will have already been established and, and starry decisis. Oh, wait a minute. What was that? Oh, that's that's gone, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fact that the court ruled on it in the past, you know, and, and it's been in effect for 40, 50 years really doesn't mean anything now. So, yeah, we can change it over if it's if it's a fundamentally different and ideologically different Supreme Court. We don't know how long that's going to be that way because these people are fairly young. It could be a while. <laughs> but I understand us. Uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor actually yeah, several people, I guess, wrote saving, yeah. uh, scathing dissents. But you know, there were a couple of things that 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 stood out to me uh, in this in this case. So the Supreme Court realized, uh, ruled that it would be an infringement on her free speech to require her to do that. And and I guess <clears throat> I get it. I get it from the standpoint as being a Christian and being a person who don't want to be forced to do something that. I'm morally opposed to doing. I get that argument, but I also understand that when I present my service to the public, then that's a different story. You know, when I'm presenting, when I'm offering a service to the public and to, to come to somebody, to come to me and say, hey, I want you to provide this service for me. And um, I discriminate against them and they are a member of that protected group. That's, so I guess the key question is, is, are they a member of the protected group? And so my question to you would then be, how much longer are homosexuals going to be a, a protected group? Because that's basically what they're saying. That's, that's what they think, because there have been white people that will file for discrimination in employment saying, hey, I was discriminated based on being white. 
And so they're not necessarily protected per se, but the courts have held, okay, there is a, a such thing as reverse discrimination. So I, I don't know if there'll ever be a, an instance where, you know, it's okay to then, you know, discriminate against someone based on say sexual orientation, even if that is, you know, something that becomes a little bit more mainstream. Um, but I think that's why those important, those factual details are important. Because one of the things about the Supreme Court is they they really try to limit their opinion to what is being presented before them versus making some kind of broad rule that then can apply to so many different scenarios. Previous Supreme Courts. Right. Because we understand the Dobbs decision didn't <laughs> didn't limit it to the question that was being presented, the case that was being presented. They overreached and or they reached further. We won't call it overreach, but they reached further than what they were asked to be bring a ruling on. And so I think that's that's only the tip of the iceberg of what we're about to see. And so I my prediction is that they're probably going to find some case to come before the Supreme Court that identifies homosexuals as no longer a protected group, saying that they shouldn't be protected because their protection then exposes my religious uh, or then challenges my religious conviction. And so their protection challenges my free speech and or First Amendment rights. And how do you resolve that when you get, you know, two different, two different constitutional uh, amendments that that conflict each other. I, I don't know how you do that when you when you when you have to protect somebody's First Amendment rights and their 14th or whatever. Well, I mean, and, and again, you know, at least with sexual orientation, that hasn't been something that in the Constitution explicitly says, hey, that is a protected class. It's something that courts have essentially stated, at least with the last decision in relates to um, transgender and in, in, in the in employment in which the court did say, and it was a liberal court at the time, but the court did say that they are protected. They use the stem of what it means of sex to try to get to that point. Now, conservative court will have likely said, no, it's not explicitly in the statute. And so we're not going to put it there. And it's likely to come back before the court again, because it's now a conservative court. The, the liberal court said before that Roe v. Wade uh, well, was said, I mean, it's the same back situation. A little bit now, but it just depends on the argument. It's one thing to say, hey, I just don't want people, I don't I don't like people of a certain sexual orientation or I don't want to hire. It's one thing to say that. It's another to your point to say, hey, this violates a free speech. And so, you know, right now, I think we're at the point where, okay, you have to present something that is protected and your speech is protected and to, to a degree and to show that, okay, which one is going to outweigh the other. But even then, that's why I say those facts are important because if we're talking about this case in particular, no one has violated your free speech. Right, but so we, we're seeing that the precedent has been set where you don't need to have a case. But I can easily envision a case where a church is looking to hire a pastor and a pastor comes in, that pastor is, is excellent in every other aspect of their delivery and their presentation. It seems like they'd be a good fit for the church. And then at the last minute, they say, hey, you know, I want you to know that I'm bringing my husband. He says, I want you to know I'm bringing my husband with me when we move. And then, oh, well, hold up a second now. We're, we can't do this. And so that then well, comes before the court. Then what? Too, they kind of addressed that with the Boy Scouts case, because that was essentially what the Boy Scouts were saying was, hey, we don't this. I think his name was Dave or Dale or whatever. And, and they cited this in the, in the opinion of this, this decision that we're talking about today. But they were saying hey, we don't want him there. By virtue of just him having a, a, a being um, a homosexual, we feel like that in and of itself. He didn't bring a guy around. He probably wasn't saying anything about it. He was probably sticking to the principles of the Boy Scouts. But they said that mere presence meant that we then had to accept the lifestyle. We had to invite our, our showcase this lifestyle to, to these young kids. And that goes against our mission. The court said, hey, we agree with you, Boy Scouts. You don't have to hire him as part of a scout leader <laughs> and, you know, left it at that. And, and we, you know, we weren't too upset. We was like, all right, that's that's the Boy Scouts, that decision they made. But again, even in that, we're talking about more, like you said earlier, it's not a public. You're trying to put commercial goods out into the public. That's a little different than a nonprofit organization that has obviously been held to have their own separate rights, responsibilities and, and mission and the like. Well, well, we'll see what happens. Now, the reason why that didn't go to the Supreme Court was because whatever the courts, the local or federal court uh, that 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 
reviewed that decision. I guess they didn't appeal it any higher. It no, I'm saying that that's did. been to the court before. I'm talking about the Boy Scout case has been to the court. The court cited it in its opinion. Supreme Court? Yeah, been to the Supreme Court. Supreme mm. Court cited it in its opinion um, that it came out with earlier related to the website case and, and said, hey, they've done it before. We, we've held before that you can do this. And, and that was, and it was because of their expression and their mission. And it felt like that they were going to violate their expression and mission of the Boy Scouts. And so we let them and, and that that was the case that they said so the story decisis we let them do it here so we gotta let you do it here too but I, I, again i think those cases are distinct distinctive one there has an injury the other one doesn't and and two i think again most importantly again we're talking about what you're putting out you are asking the public to support you or to to buy a service you're not saying hey i'm only catering to a certain group of boys two is a nonprofit organization and three here is all my mission. If you as a parent wants to, <laughs> agrees with this mission, wants to, by all means, come and join. You can't, of course, discriminate against race and gender and all that, but not gender, because you came with gender, but, <laughs> but, you know, sexual orientation, we get it. That's fine if you don't want that person in there. And so yeah. they use that to support this decision. But, but again, I mean, I, I do, I do agree with you in that we're going to see this probably come back up if it becomes, mm -hmm. if we do have a more liberal court, it's still a question as to whether or not we're going to, I still think we're going to see it even with this conservative court, because somebody's going to challenge whether or not, whether we're getting closer and closer to that. They're going to challenge whether or not someone's should, a uh, protected group should include gender orientation. And that's going to be challenged. There's no question in my mind that that's going to be challenged at this Supreme Court <laughs> level. And they're going to go back and say, we believe that the liberal courts 20, 30 years ago, however long it was that they that they uh, admitted them as a protected group. They say, we think that they were wrong. They they interpreted the Constitution wrong because their protection cannot cannot violate another citizen's um First Amendment rights, and now everything become a First Amendment. First Amendment right. In this case, it was free speech. It was their speech. But what about their their ability to practice a certain religion? They didn't approach this case as a religion standpoint. They, they approached it from a free speech standpoint. But this is the court that is right to approach it from the standpoint of religion. And when you approach it from the standpoint of a religion, they already have. They've been given an inch. Somebody's going to take a mile. And that's what's <laughs> happening. Mark my, my words. We'll be back on the roundtable. We'll table. be back. Your point, I, again, I say this is where the facts become important because I agree with you. It'll come back up again. But now I, I would I would want to see it come back up in an employment context. And I'm not just saying that as an employment lawyer. But when you're talking about two workers and one is complaining that someone's, I guess, T-shirt or someone's you know, signature on an email is this inspirational, religious, whatever, that then they feel like is offensive to them or is, is targeted to them. Yeah, I could see that being a, a coming for the court. And, and especially the employer is like, well, we're going to, of course, give adverse action or, or terminate or discipline this employee for putting this message out there that was offensive. Especially if the employer in the employer's mind is like, hey, it ain't my mission. And it's our mission that everyone feels good. So right, right. <laughs> like no one talks about anyone here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, a, it's an interesting situation. I wound up having, obviously, I'm a Christian and I have certain beliefs and everything. And those things are made public, not made just public on this show, but also in all of my social media and even on my on my bios uh from the music standpoint as well as even from my practice and i was hiring an individual and this individual must have done some research on me and 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 came back and he wanted to say to me that hey i want you to know um i read your bio i think some of the stuff that you do is really cool i thought they were getting that going down this pathway of saying oh but i don't want just your political beliefs or your religious beliefs to to interfere or something and so I, because he was building it up and was really kind of um, uh, diplomatic to talk. Yeah, diplomatic about it. Yeah, <laughs> circumventing the real issue. Yeah. And then made the comment and said, just wanted to make sure you understood that my same sex partner was going to be husband or my spouse, same sex spouse was going to be coming. And I was like, <laughs> in my mind, I'm sitting and thinking, like, wow, that was a bomb dropper. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you say? Like, oh, okay. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. And it's not a problem for me. And here's the reason why is because I know how to separate 
what my religious beliefs are and how I function in my home and within the realm of my religion and how to separate and how to function in the workplace. You can be in the world, but not of the world. And so I don't have to impose my own moral beliefs on it. Scripture tells us that a wise man says that a good soldier does not concern himself with the affairs of the world, but rather he concerns himself with how he can please his God. And I think that when we start introducing our religious beliefs into legislation and we we start making it part of we start telling the world how the world should behave we don't have that we don't have that authority our authority i won't say that authority we don't have that's not our position that's not our calling our calling is to is to monitor the behavior of Christians, those people who believe the same things that we do. And then I can reprimand you. I can correct you when you are a Christian. But until you accept my ideology, until you accept my religion, my faith, I don't have a right to tell you that you're living in sin and that I don't have a right to tell you how this world should operate. This is not a theocracy that we live in. And so therefore, I should not impose my religious beliefs into the laws of this country. The law has what it has. I mean, this country has what laws it has. And if they like to, if the country likes to uh, uphold those laws, then that's what they should go ahead and do. But I think we've got so many challenges now that, that, you know, it really challenges us to be able to separate where you are morally and where you are religiously and from your standpoint of your faith to where you are politically and legislatively. And it seems like it's almost hypocritical when you do that at some point. I was watching this. Um, there's a there's a whole litany of anti gay, anti-LGBT legislation going around the whole country now. This is a medical aspect here, too. Um so I think there are like 20 different states that are now passing laws or have passed laws that ban gender affirming surgery uh, in, in children and adolescents, even if the parents consent to it. And, and I get that there are people like Eric and, and many of, the, of, my, of my other friends who are very passionate about protecting children. They say that this is child mutilative surgery. Uh, and so that even parents should not be able to allow their children to undergo this type of surgery. And so these things are coming through on the laws and, and, and states, and eventually it's going to come up to the Supreme Court, I'm sure. Uh, I think just this past week, uh, Arkansas, I believe it was, um, where one of the, one of the federal, a federal judge actually said that the state had not proven its case that they should be able to ban that because uh, most of what they presented was ideological evidence where there was a lot of other scientific evidence that that supported the position that parents should be able to make these type of decisions for their children and they referred to they had of course expert witnesses who come on and talk about this thing called gender dysphoria gender dysphoria is where there's an incongruence between your the gender that you identify with and also your um the sex that was assigned at birth and you know there's mounting evidence and i say this with tongue in cheek because you know i believe that a man who's born a child a child who's born male should be raised male should be you whatever know. that means right i think i think that's always the issue is that whatever that means yeah we put we make connotations into what that means that really probably doesn't mean anything i did want to know though as a medical professional do you consider that abuse? Because I think that's one of the main things that that people are saying is gender affirming surgery is essentially child abuse. And and I mean, it might be more of a psychological question, but what do you think? So this is this is where that uh, the Arkansas uh, federal judge in Arkansas came out on the matter. He said um, they said that they the state says that they want to protect the child from abuse, but all the scientific evidence shows that when there is that gender incongruence uh, or gender dysphoria that those children are in adolescence are more likely to be depressed, more likely to attempt suicide, more likely to engage in, in drug abuse and, and a variety of other things. <clears throat> and that these reaffirming surgeries, these gender affirming surgeries in many cases will actually alleviate that incongruence that they're having and what the child is allowed to assimilate and or to express him or herself in their in their identified gender, uh, regardless of what their sex assigned at birth was, that 
it actually you're actually protecting the child. And I was like, wow, you know, because well, I, mean, I know that's what the legal experts say, but I'm curious medical because that's I, what I the medical that's what the medical well, stuff support. That's because if if you're talking about surgery, is is I mean, nothing to take lightly, right? Even when we're talking about right, cutting right. you open and, and 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 so in terms of the effects that that has on the body, because I mean, I get psychological, I mean, but I also get life in general is it's going to lead people to depression and, you know, whether, right. <laughs> I mean, I think as Christians, we understand that <laughs> because God made it clear hey, you will be persecuted. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving you this earth so you can enjoy paradise. Paradise is in the aftermath and the afterlife, but you're here to follow my obedience, whether that conflicts with your personal interests or not. But in terms of, you know, the you actually cutting someone open and changing their genitals, I mean, like in terms of medical, does does that is that harmful? Is, is that you know mutilation? That it's it's not mutilation if if it's surgery, if it if it accomplishes a purpose. Anything that we do, I do head and neck surgery, cancers treat head and neck surgeries that are mutilative. And, you know, the reality is is that you gotta one of my one of my mentors, uh, one of my attendings when I was training, he said, "You gotta hate the cancer more than you like the patient to do this kind of stuff, because people with throat cancer, you gotta cut their jaw open, flit it up open, and cut part of their tongues out. Some of them will never be able to talk or swallow again, and uh, have to be G two fed, and it's very mutilative. But we do these things because there is a medical benefit to it, and there's a proven benefit to it." And um, I'm not advocating, and let me make this clear: I am not it's advocating benefit to gender affirming surgery. I I am not advocating <laughs> that any parent allows their children um, to go undergo a gender affirming surgery. I'm not discouraging that either. That's not my child. That is, and I don't live with that child. I don't know how that child struggles. And so that child is mutilating themselves. You know, because I, you know, I don't know that happens. If that child wants to, you know, cut off its its penis or or mutilate its vagina, and that's not helpful either. Not at all. And so those are decisions that the courts, and that's what the federal judge said: the courts should not then intervene and/or usurp a decision that should be made between that adolescent, that adolescent's parents, and that doctor. And so each doctor should then, uh, <clears throat> or the doctors should make sure that there's a rigorous discussion and or exploration of alternatives and and make sure that there is a, a diagnosis that is that is made and alternatives have failed then you say something becomes medically necessary um I, I thank God that I don't have to be in that situation where where I'm making that determination. You know, somebody might come to me and say, hey, I want to have a feminizing vocal surgery. And that's a real thing right now. So me and head and neck, I'm sitting thinking like I'm nowhere near the genitals, but <laughs> but men who undergo uh, transgender surgery and become female, who also still have uh, a lower pitch voice, may want to have their voice feminized. And there are surgical procedures that do that. Now, fortunately, I'm not trained to be able to do that. And so... Fortunately, and you're not making any <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you, you'd want somebody who's actually trained to do it, someone who does, does it regularly. And so that's my escape from it. But I can't imagine what would happen if the court said, you must do this type of surgery. If I'm a, um OB, who's opposed to abortion, you know, and the courts come to me and tell me that I have to perform an abortion, then there's a problem with that, you know, because. So now that's an expression. You are you performing an abortion as an expression now? It could be an expression. No, no, what I'm saying, it's still a First Amendment infringement because now you're forcing me to do something that violates my First Amendment right that's to what I'm saying, uh, right freedom of religion. Your, your performance of the abortion is an expression of your First Amendment right. Yeah, but not speech, but religion. And so it's just, <laughs> it's just a, you perform an abortion. You know, I mean, if you're if you're not trained to do it, then hey, that's your answer. I'm not trained in that. But if you're trained to do it, then you've already violated your religious belief anyway. <laughs> 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 You know, I mean, it, 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 to some degree, and I remember this kind of came up with the um, clerk if, if, if in Kentucky when she did not want to issue those marriage licenses 
because she said that would be that would violate my religious beliefs. And I agreed with the um, with the court in that. Oh, okay. Well, then you don't do that job. You leave the job <laughs> and go express how you want to. But if that is your job description to issue these licenses in accordance with the law, and I would say the same thing to a, a doc, to your profession. Hey, if you're trained to do this, and it is your requirement to do what's in the best interest of your patient. I mean, yeah. to your point, at what point does that the interest of the patient outweigh your religious belief? Yeah, that's becoming a challenge there. I I, I just don't understand it. It's as I was telling Doris this morning, I said there are so many things that are coming before us that we that challenge us from our moral standpoint. But then legally, you can't marry the two of them. You can't you can't marry your Christian faith with worldly laws you just can't do it and that's where we that's why we get so frustrated as christians because we feel like man we're forced to have to accept certain things but sooner you realize that this world is not your world this world is 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 darkness and that the only thing that you're supposed to do is be a light in it which means that in other places where you aren't guess what it's still dark and the only way that the world is light is when you're around and for the period of time that you're around. And so you're not supposed to go and say, no, I'm going to light up the whole world. You can't light up the whole world. <laughs> you can't. So there are going to be some places where you are not at some point that is still going to, to the absence of light is darkness. And until we all become light, then this world's going to remain dark. And we don't all become light by changing laws. That's just it's not the way. I don't want it's, I don't want people thinking, oh yeah, being a Christian is about to be a minority. You're about to be an endangered species. Being a Christian, you're still in a far more advantage in this in this country than non-Christians. So let, I don't I don't want people because that's to me what's happening with the affirmative action, which we'll get to later. But I don't want people to think, oh, because the protection of one means that then I'm being treated as this, you know, neglect, and now all well, my that's, are being erased. that's how it's perceived, though. That, but that, that's not true. That's what I'm saying. That, that's what you think. But that's not the reality. The reality still remains that Christians in this country are still treated more favorably than non-Christians. And nah, so to, to take you that. You can't convince a lot of you can't convince you, a lot of conservatives. You can't of that. It doesn't mean that that's still. I mean, that's again, true. this court, this court has proven <laughs> where, which is, is more favorable here. So, I mean, you know, you, you can believe what you want to believe, but I'm just saying the facts are the facts. And, you know, and, and with that, I want to go to this next decision, the Groff be the joy and the joy is the postmaster general. But here, when we're talking about religious, that this was an employee who asked to have all Sundays off. Now, with the postmaster, they were saying, now that we're working with Amazon, we're having to work on weekends. And, and you know, with Amazon, they got that next day. Right. <laughs> that same, same day. day. <laughs> I benefit from it. I use it. <laughs> and so we're like, hey, all hands need to be on that. <laughs> hey, quick, quick, quick side note, quick side note. So I went to, uh, I wanted, I needed to buy a fire stick. And I went, and I was like, why doesn't Walmart have a fire stick in here? <laughs> No, you my, the biggest competitor. You I know. know my dumb butt had to ask the clerk, you know, y'all don't carry fire stick. He was like, <laughs> he was like, uh, no, we don't carry the uh product of our biggest competitor. I was like, oh yeah, I feel real stupid right now, but go ahead, side note. <laughs> She was like, hey, I'm sure Amazon will sell y'all products. Yeah, why not? <laughs> right. You know, I think I think Amazon should take that to court and what and force uh take it up to the Supreme Court and force Walmart to list there and sell their products too because they're being discriminated against. And you could be the inter party. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next case. <laughs> but uh, I but digress. Yeah, so so in this case, uh, like I said, he asked for all Sundays off based on his religious beliefs. He's an evangelical Christian. At least that's what he identified on the paperwork. The postmaster said, hey, that, that would be an undue hardship. We've got too much, too many responsibilities, not, not enough manpower. So we can't um, accommodate that. So here we are at Supreme Court. Um, and he's making that same argument. It violates my religious beliefs to work on Sunday. And this employer is forcing me to violate my religious beliefs. Now, under the statute, there is an exception if it imposes an undue hardship. 
far as I'm concerned, the postmaster was very clear. Listen, I'm I'm telling you, we've got Amazon's and stuff we got to deliver. We got regular stuff we've got to deliver. Not to mention um, the fact that, hey, listen, you know, if we can get you off, we will. But to promise that you will never have to work for it on a Sunday to come is unreasonable. And I mean, I do agree that is a little unreasonable. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know how if you're going to have even more or less man off or if everyone gets to get a lot of these people in this country is Christian. What if you're, the rest of your workforce says, well, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want my Sunday off as well. And then we get the uh, seven day events. People say, I want Saturdays off too. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> And then the atheist and the Jewish. Like, I'm discriminating because I don't get off. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's, it's, again, it goes back to that earlier question. I think in that in that sense, they said, hey, the religious freedoms comes before the prerogative of the employer. And I, again, I'm, I'm not as someone who's a Christian. I don't necessarily agree with that decision. I do think, again, if you can, definitely on a moth. But I do think there should be and there typically is this catch-all that says, but hey, if our profits are going to suffer, we can do that. And an employee is welcome to go to another employer who will be willing to give them those Sundays and, and you know, play. I mean, they, they aren't denied the opportunity to work elsewhere. They can go up, they can find another job and, and say, hey, it's because I didn't want to work on Sundays. And the Supreme Court agreed that the, the job has to let him oh, be off on Sunday. With the employee. So yes, they have. Oh, wow. That's what I said. I, I don't know. That's a slippery slope. That is a slippery slope. That is. So, <laughs> so one of our viewers made mention about uh, President Biden this past weekend when he was asked about this court. And I'm not sure if he actually said it himself, but somebody somewhere but came up, said that it was a rogue <laughs> court. <laughs> At least if, if, if what I think you said, he did say it, but go ahead. He said it was a rogue court. Biden said yeah, it was yes, a rogue court. Yeah. Yeah, so the question is, what is a rogue court? <laughs> like, you have to ask Biden court, that. I know, you have to ask Biden. I think he means a court that says, yeah, here's the Constitution. Here's real life. We're going to throw it out the window and decide which way we want to roll. <laughs> Wait a minute. As long as the Constitution doesn't interfere with our religious beliefs. <laughs> And that's 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 what it boils down to. As long as the Constitution does not interfere with your religious beliefs, and uh, which is, you know, I don't know how the Constitution can interfere with my religious beliefs because my religious beliefs are still guiding my behavior. My religious beliefs are to guide my own ethical and moral behaviors. It is not to guide somebody else's behaviors. Period. Until they subscribe to my right, and that's because they have to choose. And, right. and you know, being a Christian, it makes it very clear that he here God comes to you and introduces himself, and it's a it's a matter of God and you choosing to then enter into that relationship. But yeah, I mean, if if you don't choose to do it, then by all means, enjoy the Constitution. You have to you if you're going to be an American citizen, you have to abide by the Constitution. Everything else is your choice. And I get the ideology behind it, and the idea, the the, the thought that preeminent in our in our affection and our attention and our commitments and dedication should be our religious convictions and so those things should be held higher in higher esteem than anything else but you shouldn't expect to be protected necessarily because christianity tells us that we shouldn't be expected to be protected because of our religious belief if anything it tells us that we should be expect to be persecuted because of our religious beliefs. But yet we've got a whole group of people who think that, hey, now that we have our opportunity, let's find ways to protect our religious beliefs and protect us. And and they're looking at the wrong, I think they're, uh, Jesus said, he who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who will lose his life for my sake will gain eternal life. And I think what we're seeing is that we've got a lot of Uh, conservatives who are trying now to protect and insulate themselves from the persecution that the bible says hey this is just part of what what you what you signed up to be (laughs) eric always eric eric is always like you want to wear it like a badge of honor i was like well we should should. yes we counted the blessing despite what you're doing to me (laughs) you're blessed when he said he said you're blessed when men revalue consider yourself blessed count it a blessing when men revalue and speak all manner of evil against you count yourself blessed you don't believe the bible if you if you if you think that you should try to stop people from doing this you don't believe the attitudes right 
<laughs> Jesus made it clear. Um, and, and I do want to just make sure it's, it's clear with that decision, what the court is saying is, listen, yeah, you may suffer some undue burden, but it's not substantial. They say that the, you're not showing us a substantial amount of cost. And, and again, you know, I don't, to me, those are subjective terms, like substantial to me, maybe not be substantial right. to the court. And I feel like the postmaster was saying, no, this is substantial. We're talking about every Sunday and I don't know what the future holds. So and we don't know how of many other, of our, yeah. don't know how many of my other, I don't know the, how many atheists I have in my, right, uh, right. In and, my and I'm employee. not supposed to ask, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I get an influx of a whole bunch of other Christians saying, well, I want my Sundays off too. Exactly. You know? <laughs> That's what's about to happen. You know it. And then I, cause I'm already like, well, one person was substantial. <laughs> so at what point does it become substantial for the court? Um, so we'll yeah. Find so out. On that. We will find out, no question. Because there are going to be many of other people who say, I want Sundays off too. Oh, oh, oh I know. We, we, and, you know, what's the point? That's what I was like, though, we'll get to me, the Eric conspiracy follows if we follow the court, not if we're following <laughs> random websites. But I'll give you on the court. I'm like, yeah, there were some motions in place that we missed out on. Yeah. Uh, so this last one, because I know we're going to be running out of time soon, and this is probably going to be the most important one that we'll discuss is related to the affirmative action case. And this has brought so many tears. People are still talking about it to this day. Um, I know we've talked about it before, but just a brief recap. Uh, so before the court were admissions testing of Harvard and University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, both acknowledge an extensive history of racism and both um, say, hey, yes, we have in our admission process, there's a holistic set of factors. We look at academics, we look at test scores, we look at extracurriculars, we look at um, personal distinctive stuff in their essays, but we also look at race. And so in the mix of all these points, we say, oh, okay, someone gets a certain amount of points for having this high test scores and a certain amount of points for having um, these extracurriculars and a certain amount of points for these grades. And then they give one point for the race. And so in that, they said, you know, it's just one point, it's just a factor, it's not a determining factor. We just want to make sure that our admission class is diverse so that there could be diversity in teaching. Well, for years, looking at the Grutter and, and, and other decisions, courts have said that's fine. We, while we are not going to let you do it by virtue of trying to um, re do remedial history, essentially trying to combat for the fact that we've had years of racism and so, or years of you denying based on race, we're not going to accept that as your reason because, and, and I think this was quoted by Justice Roberts, because that's just too ageless. It's just too hard. <laughs> We'd be doing this forever because, it, and so we don't want to do that. Um, but we will, the Grutter court said, we will allow it to do for the diversity of your systems. And so if you believe that there's educational value and diversity, we'll let you allow that. We will defer to you as the educational experts to then use that so that you can have a, a, a good educational um, experience for all your students. Well, this court is saying, uh, we don't see education in diversity. <laughs> we don't even know, according to Clarence Thomas, and we thought of it tour, I don't even know what you even mean when you say diversity, <laughs> even though he wrote so much in his opinion about the effects of his growing up in the South, as well as he ended his opinion with the hope that the country will at one point be have a, a racial colorblind. So acknowledging that we're not there yet. But even he is like, I don't know what diversity means. And it's more of a social um, benefit than it is educational. So I'm no longer feeling like we need to defer to the educational experts to determine what's educational. Um, I'm just gonna tell you right now, you didn't convince me it's educational, you convinced me it's social and we need to take out that one little factor. Um, and so, and I know a lot of people are saying, well, they didn't completely eliminate it because you can put it in your essay. You can say by virtue mm -hmm. of being Asian, I have had to combat this discrimination of people believing one thing or another. And let's be clear, affirmative action benefits white women the most. So you can then, by virtue of being this white woman, <laughs> I have had to endure me too and all this, but I've been... <laughs> I've excelled in the lesson. You can still throw that in your essay. But again, the what the university has to then say is, okay, we accept your experience that you had to overcome that adversity, not we're giving you this point because you have said that you're black or, or female. But they put a lot of, of material as it relates to, to black people. And that to me is what harmful because there's this whole narrative when you read the decision, you really leave thinking, 
okay, so yes, Black people are inferior. It's going to drop dr drastically, and they're just going to have to recognize, sorry, you're the inferior race. You're just not as smart as us. Instead of, again, recognizing the history of this country and why we are where we are. And if you want to know more about critical race theory, I encourage you to read Justice Kentonji Brown Jackson's opinion, who gives a beautiful history on how racism has been a factor in this country for so many years as it relates to housing, as it relates to medicine, as it relates to politics, as it relates to the law, as it relates to even getting money to start a business or to get a house. Like all that race has been such a factor that we have been denied growth in our wealth while our counterparts have exceeded their wealth of growth and now are able to not only use tutors, to use legacy, to use so many other factors to ensure their kids get in. And you're telling us the only thing that we have is, hey, you better have a top SAT score because that legacy person is gonna get in over you if their SAT score is lower than yours. And so, I mean, obviously I, I don't agree with the decision. I mean, I know I'm about to get on my rant. I don't agree with the decision. I definitely was disappointed, as I'm always am, with Thomas, because I'm like, not only you, like, I felt like he was enjoying <laughs> writing this decision. I felt like he was just, it was a stimulation that. That's one of the reasons why he's on the court right now. <laughs> right, right. He was like, this, this is my, my Super Bowl. This is why I'm here. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> saying he wouldn't have been on the, he would not have been on the court when he got on the court, had it not been for affirmative action. He even said, which was quoted in a Washington Post article, he even said, if it wasn't for an affirmative action program, I would not have the career trajectory that I have. I wouldn't have gone to this, this law school. I wouldn't have been in, and perhaps even the EOC, because he worked for the EOC. He was denied opportunities, despite having the, law, the um, law school degree from Yale, denied opportunities, but he acknowledges that affirmative action is why I'm here. But then it's opinion, and this also why I'm going to dismantle it, because everyone thinks that that's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't know what you do with that. <laughs> now, I, now, here's the problem. I'm torn on this one, and partly, and I posted something this morning, and that is that, um, as humbly as I know how to say this, I know for a fact that I'm smarter than and a better surgeon than many of my white colleagues. As but humbly I, as you said that. As as humbly as I can say that. And, okay. and the only reason why I say that is because um, I know that I still would not have had the opportunities to be able to prove that if it had not been for affirmative action. If I didn't say affirmative action on the publicly, but uh, but that's what it boils, boils down to. What it boiled down to for me was that the college that I went to saw some value in having racial diversity, racial diversity, not just socioeconomic and this. Granted, I understand that there's some poor white people who who have who come from a, a more being uh, poor will get you a point. Right. Yeah. So be like, yeah, but, <laughs> but rich but, black person, poor white person, y'all on the same level now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but 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 economic status, socioeconomic status is not a protected group. And so I'm just least, saying it'll get you a point on that admission process. It'll get yeah, you a point. Yeah, but your your poor economic status that gets you a point as well. But that's the point. That's that's the point that they were trying to make and say that you can still they can still consider the hardships that you overcome and everything uh in order to get there. But that's not what got me into med into that medical school. Yes, because if they just wanted poor people, they could have gotten a lot of poor people. They could have gotten people who come from backgrounds that was much poorer than me. But this college specifically determined that they wanted to increase their racial diversity. And I don't see a problem with, with an institution saying, hey, I want to have a racially diverse institution. And if you don't, as a result, of that, if you don't specify that as a goal or as a mission, uh, then it will never happen. Um, and even if you do state it as a mission, you can never really make it happen if you don't consider race as one of the factors. How do you accomplish the goal of racial diversity when you can't consider race in terms of admission? <laughs> you can't do that. And so now here it was, I was the second African-American in 2000. Two, 2002, only the second African-American to graduate from the University of Cincinnati's combined MD-PhD program. And um, I'm sitting there thinking like, why should this be? Of course, 
I'm certainly I wasn't the only smart African-American who, who did that. But the problem was that in the past, they really didn't consider, hey, racial diversity. We, we don't care about having any type of racial diversity in our in our schools. And, there, and it does provide some benefit, I, I do believe, to have just the exposure of different people from different backgrounds. The guest that we had on the dermatologist. I mean, when she talked about how for so long people are focused on, again, fair white skin, and they're not looking at again. Black skin is a little different, particularly with hair, with nails, even with even with the skin. And so, unless you again have people come in of different skin tones, different all different backgrounds, but including skin tones, to say, well, hold on, have we looking at this? Are we looking at this? You continue to then have a disparity among the public as to the services that you can provide, and that's why for so many, even now, black maternity is much likely to to lose a black woman in childbirth than a white woman and I think I do think having a diverse set of of people helps bring those hey can we study can we do research on this because that was one of her research that she did on her PhD and and you hear a lot of minorities they they focus on some of those racial disparities in their research when they're earning professional degrees now well I think it was one of the justices it may have been Clarence Thomas who made the comment you can't end discrimination by employing discrimination and uh I think they said racism using racism but I don't think know that it you obviously it's not racism when you say that we're we're denying clear, a white person white people are not oppressed position. by affirmative action okay? exactly so okay so so my so I paraphrased it into discrimination so you can't end discrimination by discrimination and and to that extent i understand i'm like okay yeah well if people are actually discriminated against getting into this institution because they're because they're white i get how people will be upset by saying hey i can't get an opportunity because i'm white now and because everybody else that's just how you see it because and that's why i think it's important to have because i think again you read a kentucky brown jackson or even even if you read Clarence, clarence thomas it's not by virtue of the fact that you're white. It's by virtue of the fact that this university has an interest in the racial diversity of their, <laughs> of their students. So you don't contribute to the racial diversity. And to me, that is less likely to lend itself as discrimination as, okay, I hey, I'm not what they were looking for. But so can racial diversity be free speech? There is multiple people like you at this university. So it's not as if they were saying, oh, we're not going to accept anyone. They really focus a lot on Asians, which, again, I found interesting because, again, if you look in the opinion, they do a breakdown of Harvard's admissions. And it's usually 10 percent, 11 percent, I think as high as maybe 12 percent African-American. But when it came to Asians, like 18, 19. And so to me, like, as an, if you're an Asian, I'm like, the person getting your job is the white person. It is not me. Or the person that's getting your seat at Harvard is the white person. <laughs> it, or that white legacy, that, that white donor, that is the person that got your seat, not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but so I just wanted to make sure that, again, that's why it's so important to have a diverse set, because then you get a diverse set of perceptions. I don't think we can disagree that if you deny me a bank loan, by virtue of the fact that I'm Black, I think we can agree that's oppressive, that's racist, and that's discriminatory. But I think we can disagree and have conversations about, as we're doing now, whether schools should have an interest in the racial diversity makeup of their student body. Well, you know that that extends to so, so whether you can have economic programs, whether a bank can have minority loans, whether schools can have minorities, oh, no. scholarships. It's all those things are all those things are coming. So you you can't have incentives that now uh, that that now foster or uh, help to create environments of racial diversity because then it's discriminatory based on race which is an issue now interestingly like you mentioned before you said they didn't do anything to stop legacy even though that's discriminatory but i guess <laughs> i guess class is not a protected group right now that so money hey you yeah. got more money we can't say nothing <laughs> we can't protect you we can't protect you if you're poor <laughs> I know some ones who should be protected. The poor, that's what the Bible tells us to do is to protect the poor from the abuses of the rich. I'm sure that they don't, I'm sure that they will admit poor people without giving them any money, knowing that you're not coming. (laughs) 
I do want to I do want to get to this one last comment from a visitor and he said I mean from a viewer and he says how is it that the military academics can target diversity over co and, and colleges and universities can't because I think they still did exclude they did. They military carved academies they carved that out and one of the things and, and hopefully your viewer you're not expecting me to answer because I don't know I'm with you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how one works, but the other one in it doesn't work. But she also, Kendonja Brown Jackson, made it clear when you're looking at the racial demographic of North Carolina, the Black people that are admitted don't even match the racial demographic. It is far less percentage of Black people admitted to UNC than they are residents of UNC. So to some degree, I mean, again, I do think a state university has an interest in ensuring their state university reflects the demographics of the state and yet to an extent that it's possible to the extent that it's possible yes and and i do want to also make sure it's clear first of all the fact that just about everyone in the court wrote decision lets you know that race right is <laughs> 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 i said man that's a lot of opinions there <laughs> concurring <laughs> dissenting i was like wow i didn't know you could write that many of them <laughs> and in Kentucky Brown section, it um, recused herself because she went to Harvard, but she did say, I'm writing a decision as a really an add on to the UNC case, as well as to bolster um, Justice Sotomayor's decision. But to me, that alone it shows the irony of this whole decision. Um, but also, again, because I know a lot of people are saying, oh, so now um, un uneducated Black people are not going to be accepted to a Harvard. Okay, that was never the case. I mean, again, you still had to meet the minimum right, requirements. Right. Like it wasn't like they were just saying, please find me a black person so we can meet our um, racial diversity um, initiatives. No, you still have to meet minimum requirements. And and to me, there is this, again, this perception that an Obama or, or Michelle Obama or anyone, even a Clarence Thomas or a Ketanji Brown Jackson, anyone that came out of Harvard that was black, there's this perception that they did not earn that seat, that they were not right. smart enough, that they did not have the qualifications enough, and that the only guy in there were black. But in, despite the fact that we're reading their opinions, and as much as I will criticize Tom, Clarence Thomas, I can't deny that the guy can write. I mean, he's articulating his points, and he's finding the law to support it. Ketanji Brown Jackson, of course, I love her all this, but again, her opinion presents a, a different perspective than Justice Roberts, who, who wrote the majority on the court. And again, I, I understand from a white person, I get that's why how, that's how you see it. But then you need to hear how I see it. And, and it's particularly the person that's been, you know, care it, how you that see has been oppressed for years. I know, right? You see how <laughs> I see it and, and see if the two really make sense um, or, yeah. or if it's important that we both see or understand. But no, I, I'm I'm with you. Like, this yeah, is the problem is that part of the problem is that, um, and and some of the people that I've seen that are black who support this decision, part of it is because they bought into the uh, the notion that, and and the efforts of people, mostly white people, to weaponize affirmative action to denigrate the the capabilities, the ability, the intellect, the you know, the worthiness of those people who are in those positions. That's the reason why I made my humble statement earlier. I was like, make no doubt about it. I'm smarter than... The <laughs> At no and, point did I feel like I deserved to be there. At no point. <laughs> yeah, no point. And no point did I did I not prove that I deserved right, to be there. Right, right. You know, right. and when I, in fact, when I got there, I was like, man, because first of all, I was sitting thinking like, am I able to? Then I started looking at, uh, I said, these are some dumb people. How did these people? I won't say dumb, but you know, but my 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 thought was this: I was like, oh my god, these are the brainiest, these are the smartest of the smartest people. Can I compete with them and such and such? And then I got around them. I was like, I got you beat <laughs> easily, <laughs> easily. This is this is an easy uh, easy win for me on this one, but. Um, but but it's it's that because I could have easily have bought into that notion that you know well I've got in I don't know if if I'm good enough or such and such and that's where they want us to stay a lot of times is to question whether or not we're good enough and so if if they're questioning in their mind the goal the ultimate goal is to cause you to question whether or not you're good enough to be there and the answer is yes in fact I probably should have been at a better institution. <laughs> Gonna say, in fact, my parents own better than yours, and really should have owned that business. <laughs> 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 I 
had you not taken away my parents' opportunities, we would still be in that Tulsa area of thriving and, and <laughs> as we see fit. And, and in California, I think I forgot the name of the beach, but they, um, they there was a lawsuit because one of the slave owners, as well as the state, pretty much ripped the that family from ownership of that beach. And so they essentially won. It's kind of, and it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call it reparations because again, they they did own the beach, but by virtue of the fact that they were black and the state could essentially say, well, we're going to take it from you. That's what happened, but they had to pay out. Um, and so again, I mean, if, if you study history, you will see the leaps and strides that black people have made despite the adversity. And so to conclude that we're an inferior race, one, let's me know you didn't study history, but two, again, let's me know that there's a failure in the education system that I think the Harvard's and the UNC's were trying to remedy. I'm not sure, though, this will have a big change on Harvard and UNC, because, again, they, the court made it clear you can still put it in, in your essay. I do think that, you know, the Harvard will still be able to maintain their diversity and, and the like, because, of course, we're still going to apply and we are qualified with that. And so and I guess schools that don't value diversity probably don't need don't deserve our patronage. They don't. And hopefully we will recognize that because I think we often want what we can't have. We want to have access to places where people are telling us no. Um, so thank you guys so much for tuning in. And thank you for your comments. Do continue to keep them coming, but we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. We are here every Saturday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You can also catch us on your favorite podcast platform. And you can catch a repeat of this episode on Star Radio. Until next Saturday, have a good week. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.